The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back, boys and girls, to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right on the phone with me is the one, the only, the beast from all of the East, Northwest. You are just hairy and scary. Tammy, the underdog, <laughs> Underwood. It's amazing that we taught Sasquatches how to use phones. I'm still just amazed at technology, man. Te- you know what? Phones you and tablets what? for everybody. What was that thing you posted on Facebook about Sasquatches and not touching them? <laughs> that was an actual thing from uh, a forestry service. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, holy shit, yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't touch me. Don't approach me. Don't do nothing. <laughs> I, I saw that. I said, holy shit, I got to tag Tabby in this. It's a, it's an actual. We Actually, you know what? what? I, you need to post that on the Brutal Nation, uh, Citizens of Brutal Nation. Uh, I do. Page. I do. Because, I mean, I tag you in a bunch of shit anyways, because I come across some weird shit when I'm scrolling <laughs> through the different things that I do for the business. Because I don't use Facebook for personal reasons, obviously. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> But yeah, I find some weird ass shit and I go, oh, I got to take Scott and that one. <laughs> so a little bit of business before we start with uh, what we're calling the squirrel cages. Hey, if, yeah, cage yeah. if you are in the Portland metropolitan area on July the 1st, which is tomorrow, make sure to come out and see my band, Twisted Blue. We're going to be playing with a band called uh, Izzy Cactus. And then I think our opener is called... Oh shit! I have it right here. Give me a minute. I knew you were going to do this, and I should have had it ready, and I didn't, and I'm mad at myself. It was just the tip Um, of my tongue. Bad creature. Bad creature, or is it creature? Anyway, um, we're at Misfits Bar on 82nd. Just look it up. It's uh, it's the old East Side uh, Bar and Grill, but now it's called Misfits. Come on out, man! It's it's really it's going to be a blast. Okay, so let's get into the squirrel cages. Uh, yeah, it would. Well, actually, it's a squirrel cage jail. And I want to preface this because normally, you know, we talk about specific crimes and everything, but we also try to bring humanity to the people we portray, right? Yes. Okay. So today we're actually going to talk about a jail that housed criminals and the inhumane housing they lived through for 84 years of operation. Um, it was up for that fucking long? Like, yeah. What, it was, what year did uh, it close down? Yeah. it. Well, it's the Padawan, it was called the Padawatomi County Jail and Council Bluffs, a.k.a. Squirrel Cage Jail, and I'll tell you why in a minute why it was called that. Well, but Council Bluffs is in, in Iowa, y'all. Yeah, Council Bluffs, Iowa, you know, idiots out walking around. Where even the GPS is an idiot, but that's another story. So hold um, on, we, we also got to tell everybody that this is a place that, that you and your sister and your cousins, like y'all and two did of a, my cousins visited, yes. Y- y'all did a field it, trip actually, there. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, mainly because, you know, I like freaking touring haunted places, but also because it was a jail. And I figured, you know what, what better opportunity than to get some insight on things than to tour jail, right? No, that makes but sense, it yeah. Was built, yeah, it was built in 1885, and it was one of 18 rotary-style jails built in the United States. However, unlike the other 17 jails of that style, it was the largest with three stories. 
The you, rest you, was single or two-story structures. But get this. This facility was also built on the site of an old church morgue. That is awesome. But you need to explain what a rotary-style jail is. I, I will. I will here in a minute. Oh, I, <laughs> Why do you doubt me? <laughs> well, because all I heard anyway, was... I heard you gurring and growling, and, and then I heard your fleas talking, so... You know, I was like, oh, she's not going to explain what the hell a rotary jail is. Because I had no idea until you really, explained it to me. My fleas were talking. My they were fleas all, were talking. Yeah, they were going, help me, help me. We're trapped in a dark watch. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, BT Dub. Oh, never mind. I'll mention this when Todd calls next time, but that's okay. Um, the basic concept of the rotary-style jail was actually meant to limit the interaction between the jailer and the inmate. In fact, it was to, intended to be a cost-effective establishment. The idea was that a single jailer could live in the facility with his family in a separate apartment, and he was the only one to oversee the inmate. Now, give me a minute, and I will explain exactly what the rotary-style means. Um... But according to Kat Slaughter, she's the current Pottawatomie County Museum Director, it's supposed to house 60 inmates in this jail because it was three stories with two men per cell, and those men were ages 14 and up. Jesus Christ. However, and I'll get to this in a minute, but it it also had a juvenile section, for, with an inmate as young as three years old, although I couldn't find out why that person was in jail. Back the fuck I'm up. assuming the it a... was probably poor jail. You know what I mean? Because sometimes they house people for being poor. I was going to say, what so the fuck is a three-year-old doing? Oh, well, yeah, hold on. Exactly I can imagine. I no, I can, I can see that because like when Jake was three, I'm pretty sure <clears throat> that he was out terrorizing people. And he probably killed well, like you know, five families. <laughs> I was going to say, let's not talk about the Walmart brats, but okay. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> Those little motherfuckers in Walmart, they all deserve to be in a prison. All of them. God damn it. And their parents. Like, I want to smack their parents half the time going, because you raised that fucking thing, that crotch goblin right there. Right, right. But it also had a section where women were housed in a separate apartment living area, and then it also had the jailer's quarters on a different section. But, you know, because the jailer and or his family lived in the facility. So, you know, there was that as well. And contrary to what some people believe, we actually found the gallows up above. I mean, we couldn't open it up, but that it looked like the drop down for gallows. So That's it was freaking kind of freaky. awesome. There's so many people I want to. Yeah. Have. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so here's the history of the rotary style jail. Two factors were involved in the facility, which acquired its unofficial name, Squirrel Cage Jail, because the concept resembled animal cages, and there was an abundance of black squirrels in the area. Why does it get to be black squirrels? Why? Why can't it be white squirrels? You're a racist. What? Or red squirrels or let, any other squirrels? Oh, so let me get this squirrels. right. Because it's a jail, it has to be a black squirrel. Racist. <laughs> I see no, how actually, is that was from the history I found on the website. They're racist, too. Meanwhile, nobody pays any <laughs> well, attention Iowa, to the red yeah, squirrels right. or the gray squirrels <laughs> or the white squirrels. No, let's pick on the black squirrels. <laughs> no. Black squirrels' lives matter, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it, it's amazing. This, I mean, this facility alone, it was weird. 
But however, it's also been referred to as a human rotary and lazy Susan. You know what a lazy Susan is, right? It's just in the yeah. middle of the table and it spins around. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It consists of a cylinder containing pie-shaped cells that rotated inside a steel bar cage. Okay? So when you walk into the facility it's where the cells are held, you see the cylinder bars and everything, and then they have the cells inside. Well, rather than the bars rotating, the cylinder itself rotated on the inside. Okay? Now... Separate from those cells were the jail offices, the jailer quarters, the trustee quarters, and housing units for juvenile and we- juveniles and women, and then they also had an infirmary or medical unit. Now, what happens is, is these cells were rotated by a hand crank, okay? It wasn't a machine. It wasn't, like, mach- uh, automated or anything. Well, they would actually would have be- to hand crank this cell. You're talking okay. the 1800s. There wasn't a lot of automation exactly. going on. You know, it's not like they said, well, hey, flip the switch or yeah. fucking that steam power and shit. Not all steampunk. Well, I, I wanted to make that clear because some people go, oh, you know, all they had to do was flip the switch. No. And what it was is there was only one opening on each level. So they had to, like, spin it until it came around to the opening for the cell they wanted out. Okay. Now, the overall structural design was the brainchild of William H. Brown and Benjamin F. Hawk. Both of those designers were based out of Indianapolis, Indiana, and according to their 1881 patent on the design, they stated, quote, the object of our invention is to produce a jail in which prisoners can be controlled without the necessity of personal contact between them and the jailer. So basically, it was supposed to be cost effective because instead of multiple jailers working a a facility, they had one jailer who worked the whole facility. And this one actually had three stories as opposed to one or two, you know? You know, on the surface, it makes sense. But but when you look at the whole big picture, when when you're confining people in that, way where there's only one person that they're interacting with, there's a slew of other health problems. Uh, yeah, I'll get into that towards the end, but yeah. Uh, my bad. Yeah, no, it's not your bad. To this day, only three of the 18 rotary-style jails remain standing, and all three are preserved by local historical sites. Oh, wait, I missed something. Um, basically, the facility provided maximum security with minimum jailer attention. And according to one former deputy, he said if a jailer could count and he had a trustee he could trust, he can control the whole jail himself. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. So to this day, of the 18 rotary-style jails that were built in America, only three are preserved by local historical societies and open to the public. One is in Davies County, uh, Missouri. One is in um, the first facility, actually, the first Rotary facility built is a two-story facility in Montgomery County in Crawfordsville, Indiana. That's still open to the public. And then, of course, the one in Council Bluff, which is the largest facility built. Now, um, the vast majority of the cells were situated in a a central cylinder, and the two bunk pie-shaped cells were surrounded by a steel cage. The jailer would have to hand-crank the turning mechanism to spin the inner cells, 
until the housing unit lined up with a single opening. This is how prisoners were let in and out of those cells. Now, I'll tell you from being in them um, how inhumane I think this is. Because, I mean, granted, you have some pretty small cells in regular jails to this day. But these were literally one-man cells, maybe, that um, housed two people. They had a bunk bed, um, you know, bunk beds and everything. Then they had a small little walkway and then had a bench on the other side of the unit. And then they had, like, this, like, arched alcove in the back, which I didn't understand until it was pointed out to me that that was the toilet. Um, Wow. Which, you know... Yeah, which back before flushing mechanisms with indoor plumbing, that was hor- that would have been horrendous. Oh, um, so oh savor the flavor, taste the rainbow. I know, right? Two people could not, I mean, literally two people could not stand in this cell and be comfortable at all. Because me and my, my young, my 14-year-old cousin were in there, and her and I were standing in there because she took my picture, and I kind of stood up. I'm like, uh, this is tight quarters for us. So I couldn't imagine tight. two grown-ass men. I fucking hate you. Two <laughs> grown-ass men standing in this space by themselves. You know what I mean? Two With no ass, way out. Two grown-ass men standing there seeing who's tighter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it right there. Or to even have to go to the bathroom. and I mean, granted, they had an air vent for the smell, but I'm pretty sure it didn't work that well. We all know outhouses air vents don't work. You mm-hmm. know? I know you use port potties quite a bit. I hate them. I will not use one only because yuck, and only and also because I don't know if you remember this back in the day, back in the early nineties, there was that guy who got in trouble for putting cameras in porta potties at the Rose Festival. You oh yeah, that? I remember that. Yeah, so to this day I won't use one just because nobody wants so, to see your cooter. Uh, how do I know they didn't put it in there to see somebody else's and just happen to see mine? No, they're going to pass it really quick. <laughs> I hate you. Are you eating right now? I am. I'm eating a cracker. I'm freaking starving. I bet you are. You've been working all day. Yeah. So according to Ryan Rowenfeld, he's the for- a former president of the Historical Society. It was a 19th century marvel, a brilliant idea. You didn't have to pay many people to watch a lot of prisoners. But unfortunately, the initial concept fared better than the reality of the mechanism. In 19, I mean, sorry, 1887, two years after the jail opened, the local Council Bluffs newspaper declared that it was pretty much a failure. They based their opinion on the fact that the turntable gears would frequently become jammed. You know, which mm-hmm. is. It's kind of obvious, you know, it's a hand crank mechanism, you know, chances are it's going to become jammed, right? Right, right, so, right. So, the major problem, actually, because the major problems were only at the squirrel cage jail, and it's because of the size of the structure. It was a three-story facility, and the inner drum, um, when it was unoccupied by any inmates, weighed approximately 45 tons alone. So oh, wow. imagine the weight of the inmate. I mean, up to sixty inmates, what it weighed, right? So it was all. It also only has a three-foot square base. So as a result, the unstable soil that the base rested on would shift frequently. Obviously, I mean that's obvious. What 
I mean, that's Mother Nature in itself, right? It's either mo- it's either yeah. Mother Nature or Papa Boner. Oh my God! You like that one? <laughs> you know that's even funnier because my sister just posted something on our family Facebook group chat thing about the bone talk, and I think I told you about that where I misspoke and said something about my cousin's bone. Yep, because was, you know it was bad. My sister lives it in Arkansas, bad. and you're from Iowa, so nothing surprises me. <laughs> It was, I was really tired. I misspoke and I realized as soon as I said, I'm like, yeah, I just heard how that sounded. That's not what I meant. <laughs> His bone was so big. But, um, <laughs> shut up. So the top of the cage is also suspended from a single beam made of iron. I, iron. Iron. I can't believe I just said it like a friend of mine pronounces it, and I always make fun of her. <laughs> now, there's an emergency access hatch that jailers can climb down if necessary if it jams so they can unjam it. However, according to Rowanfeld, I he said, quote, I've never known anyone crazy enough to climb down that, although one desperate inmate climbed up it only to discover it didn't lead outside and he had to wake up the jailer to let him back in himself. Oh, which dude, I think that's is kind up. of funny. Hey, I know, can you right? wake up like I misplaced my cell? <laughs> I know. I tried to escape, but I only made it to the top of the building where there's no exit. I apologize. Let me back in. Um, now, the horrible construction of the rotating drum often caused the mechanism to jam. We talked about that. If it remained jammed for an extended period of time, there was a risk the inmates would starve to death because they had no way to get out to go get their food from the tray. Because the jailer wouldn't come in and take their food from the food tray and then pass it to the cells. They were let out to get their food tray and then they'd go back in their cells and eat. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, it didn't make sense to me, but I was like, okay. But then I thought about it. one jailer, three stories. Yeah, kind of does. Um, so, however, the main problem the jailer faced was their inability to keep the various inmate classifications housed separately. In other words, people charged with minor offenses such as animal theft, like, you know, like horse or chicken theft, and soliciting sex, you know, prostitutes, were kept housed with the inmates facing rape and murder charges. God okay? damn. Yeah, for instance, Gilbert Ranfeld was an inmate there. He was incarcerated for writing a check for a dollar, one dollar and fifty cents that bounced. And he was housed in the same unit as Jake Bird, who we covered in episode 179, and I'll talk about this in a minute. An inmate arrested and charged with murdering approximately 50 people with an axe. Okay. So it's like they didn't have the various, like, level one, two, you know, whatever. They had one unit. And granted, unit three was usually for the higher profile inmates, but they couldn't, like, regulate that. You know what I mean? Right, right, Um, right. Yeah. So, in fact, the last man who was executed by hanging in Iowa, Charles Noel Brown, was also housed at the Squirrel County Jail. He had gone on a three-day murder spree while he was greatly intoxicated. He was hung from the gallows in 1962, and the noose used to hang him 
is displayed at the jail for tourists to view. I actually took pictures of it. It was kind of weird. But then, okay, so I want to go back to Jake Bird for a minute. Um, they actually have a display there that talks about the Jake Bird hex, which we talked about in the episode. Right. right, um, right. He was a traveling railroad worker. Yeah. And authorities estimated he murdered approximately 50 people, but he was only convicted of killing two women and sentenced to death in Washington State in 1947. Since his sentencing, he was actually linked to 14 other murders across the United States. Now, Eric Hickey, the director of Alliant International University Center for Forensic Studies, say that when you're high or drunk, it'll be hard. He published a report about Jake Bird in 1991. And in his report, Hickey talked about how Bird, quote, challenged the stereotypes of serial killers. Because traditionally, you and I talked about it. A serial killer is thought to be a white male in his, what, mid-20s, so maybe early 40s? Yep. Right? Unless you're me. I'm almost okay. 50. Right? I know, but you're not a serial killer, I don't think. I just fucked up some Fruit Loops this morning, so don't test me. <laughs> I've never seen Fruit Loops in your house, but okay. <laughs> I did. He's, in, he's he, in his bedroom right now. <laughs> but then black, because black men were commonly associated with gang or urban violence. Still However, are. However, according, yeah, that's true. According to Hickey, though, revelations that Jake Bird, a black man, had actually stalked and killed Dozens of white women in the 1940s in dozens of states continues to challenge traditionally held profiles of serial killers. You know, which is true because we've talked about it before. I mean, with freaking Sam Little and shit. It's like, what the hell? And I'm always telling the black <laughs> you, folks you out there, it. man, you know, knock off the yeah, serial killer. That's serial a white killing. man thing. That's our thing. <laughs> Can't be doing that. We're the freaks in That's nature. That's right. Don't hone in on our territory, bro. Yeah, bro. Back out of that shit. We're the serial killers. Right? <laughs> now, after Bird was convicted of murder, he was given the opportunity to make a statement to the court. In his 20-minute speech, he talked about how his court-appointed attorneys were prejudiced against him and how he was denied his constitutional right to defend himself. Um, oh, to act as his own legal representative. And he ended his speech by saying, quote, I'm putting the Jake Bird hex on all of you who had anything to do with my being punished. Mark my words, you will die before I do. Now, within a year, with no, within 30 days of his sentencing, the judge who sentenced him to death and one of the detectives that took his initial confession died from heart attack. Over the next few months, an officer, the officer who took his second confession, one of his prison guards, and the chief court clerk died from heart failure. Then, exactly one year to the date of his sentencing, J.W. Selden, one of his defense attorneys, died from heart complications. Six people before Jake Bird was executed. Man, he so knew the, he knew the voodoo, the man. Or not, but that's kind of coincidental. Fucker knew voodoo. Right? Yeah, that's true, huh? You don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure he might have. Now, yeah, he was oh, I do, man. Scheduled... 
He fucking plucked a bird out of the sky. He made some voodoo dolls. He went, ooga, jugga, 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 ooga, 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 and boom. They all fucking died. And you saw, see, motherfuckers? Okay, gotcha. voodoo is more Jamaican than African. Hoodoo is more African, but okay. Fine, fine. He went, man, we smoked the weed. And we do it all day, listen to Bob Marley. And then they all died. Is that better? Is that, is that better? You like no, that better? Okay. not even close. Hang on, motherfucker. <laughs> but Bird was originally scheduled to be executed on, June, on January 16th, 1948. However, he was given a stay of execution when he claimed he could help the authorities solve approximately 44 murders he committed in Florida, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan, although I don't know where on the hand the murders were committed, Nebraska, I Ohio, hate you Oklahoma, so fucking much. South Dakota, and Wisconsin. I knew you would. I only put that in there for you. Now, <laughs> during his his day of execution, Byrd actually filed an appeal with the Washington State Supreme Court and three appeals with the United States Supreme Court, and all four were denied, and he was finally executed by hanging at the Washington State Penitentiary in, you know, Walla Walla, that fake town, on yeah. July 15, 1949. His remains were interred at the prison cemetery in an unmarked grave because they didn't want people to desecrate his grave. You know, so they put it in an unmarked location. But still, I was like, wow, I'd love to know where that's at. But you knew, you know, because. Well, I bet, I bet he was hung. He was a black man. I know, right? He was, oh my Are God. You jealous, God? I, no, I thought of the worst joke ever. Of course he was hung. He was black. Nothing? Oh my God. That is a double on No, that is bad, bad, bad. Bad. I got the double entendre, and it was bad. That's terrible. That's terrible. Bad. Now, in its 84 years of operation, only five deaths were recorded at the facility. I will actually bring up another one that wasn't recorded, but is said to have happened. Now, one of them is a prisoner who had died from natural causes, a heart attack. One tried to carve his name in the ceiling of the jail. He climbed up that shaft and tried to carve his name in the ceiling and fell three stories to his death. Damn, I've, One had, prisoner, I've had women tr- climb up huh? my staff and none of them have hurt themselves. Well, almost none of no, them. Almost, which one did? I'm, I'm afraid to ask. Ah, glad that you asked. Her name was Lisa and she was really small and itty bitty. And I said, it's not going to fit. And she said, oh, yes, it will. And she was a trooper. She was a trooper. Oh, my God. Anyways, and then you and I talked about this one. One inmate who was actually in there for stalking a woman. um, And he, you know, he cared about her and everything. And he stalked her. And he knew he couldn't stop stalking her if he got out. So he ended up, he tied one end of the sheet around his neck. And one end around the steel bars. And hung himself in his bed when the cage rotated. You know? Yeah, you tell me about that. I can't remember his name. And I tried finding it, but I couldn't find it. Then, actually, one of the officers actually died when his gun misfired during a routine riot gun training exercise. Fucking Barney Fife. (laughs) And then one prisoner, a guy by the name of Willie Brown, wanted to get a medical transfer. So he ate glass in an effort to do this and died in the process. Well, I guess you did get a medical transfer right to the morgue. Yeah, exactly. But Kat Slaughter, you know, the current Historical Society director, she feels that the number is low, especially when you consider, quote, the death trap was in operation for 84 years. 
That's a good now, point. Now, in addition to the four, re- yeah, in addition to the five, I put four, but I don't know why, five recorded deaths, prisoners also sustained broken legs and arms when they accidentally or purposely stuck their limbs to the steel uh, cage bars while it rotated. And according to Rumsfeld, some people would go crazy in here and do anything to get out. No, nah, I'll tell you now, what it was. Hold on, hold on. It was a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. and you know this guy, being a guy, I know this. We're all stupid as shit because they they probably bored. And they're like, hey, Bill, 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 put your arm in there. I bet you won't do it. I bet you won't. Anyway, fuck you. Yes, I will. And then all of a sudden it rotates. That's what happened. <laughs> I, I bet you won't. I bet you will. I'll Meanwhile, you a pe- the people in the next cell over, all of a sudden an arm flops in there. Oh, I guess Bell did it, didn't he? What? That's not right. He's going to have a hard time masturbating. <laughs> well, you know, they have different, like, props and shit in the cells, and a lot of them have, like, Winston's and Palm Malls and cars and French fries and it's all that shit all in the cells. I'm like, yeah, I can see them doing Palm Malls and shit, yeah. No, Palm Malls are nasty. Now, in the, I know, but back in the early 1800s, I mean, late 1800s, early 1900s, that was the go-to if it wasn't roll your own. God, those are nasty. I've smoked one in my life, and God damn. My dad used to smoke palm malls and camel non-filters. I'm like, oh, my God, that is, like, gross. I just vomited, man. Nice smoke. That's, yeah. I know. So, in the first 75 years the Squirrel Cage Jail was in operation, it was listed as condemned 22 times. Jesus Christ. In fact, it was considered, quote, the most frequently condemned building in Council Bluff. However, since the taxpayers barely paid for that jail to be constructed, they refused to approve funds for another facility. So according to Roanfeld, it was cheaper to just keep it going. Then in 1960, you know, remember the inmate I told you that died of natural causes the heart attack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It took emergency personnel two days to access his cell because the crank mechanism failed. I wonder why he died of a heart attack. That's a fucking mystery. Well, he died of a heart attack and was dead, and then they couldn't get to his corpse for two days. That's nasty. I know, right? So as a result, the local fire marshal actually had the rotating drum permanently disabled. After that, the inmates were able to wander the corridors of each floor freely. In fact, according to Roanfeld, the last years were just a free-for-all. From 1960 until 1969, when the jail was shut down permanently, several inmates made holes in the wall, which are still present to this day. I actually took pictures. In an attempt to escape, while the only jailer on staff remained in his quarters, watching television. Wow. <laughs> it's like, like, you know what? They really can't technically get out, so I'm just going to sit here and watch TV and let them do whatever the fuck they want. It's right? probably the smartest move. I mean, think about it this way. You have, like, what? You got, you got 60 guys in there, right? And it's just right? you, your old lady, and your fucking kids. What the hell are you going to do? Fuck that. Nope. They don't pay me enough. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> Doesn't say SWAT anywhere on this uniform, motherfucker. <laughs> That's right. Now, city officials declared Squirrel Cage Jail unfit for human habitation in late 1969. 
At that point, the jail officially closed and inmates were transferred to other prisons across the state. Now, the building was slated for demolition. However, members of the local historical society actually stood in front of the building, of the bulldozers in front of the building, which allowed them enough time to get the building classified as a historical landmark. Okay. Now, today, the Squirrel Cage Jail is open for tours, obviously, and overnight paranormal investigations. Also, some people think the facility is haunted by former inmates. The spirit most people seem to encounter is that of Bill Foster. He's a former warden who mostly still keeps watch over the operations of the jail. Now, according to my personal experience, because over the years, I mean, for the last... I don't know how many years since I was, like, in my teens. I've been told by some people who, like, are into paranormal stuff that I'm a sensitive, but mostly, an, but um, actually an impact, which means, although I can see spirits, I mostly feel the emotions associated with the location. You know what I mean? I'm hip to the scene. So, I mean, huh? You're, I know you're hip to the scene. That's right. I mean, because when I was at the Velisca... I mean, because when I was at the Villisca Axe Murder House in, 19, in 2019, my sister, like, moved one of the coverings from the mirror aside, and I felt like this debilitating panic. And I believe that that panic was, I felt, was actually projected by one of the victims of the murder who was still there, who gone to the place. Now, that being said, while I toured the Squirrel County Jail, I felt different emotions at different times. For instance, I was actually sitting in a cell on the first level when I was overwhelmed with feelings of helplessness and despair. I found out after the tour, that was the cell that the man hung himself in. Oh, holy shit. And then, yeah, and then when I toured the medical ward, as I was standing in front of the bathtub there, because they had like a white cloth bathtub, I was overwhelmed with feelings of sadness. I found out later, even though it's undocumented, that a pregnant woman was housed there, it, it's believed that she committed suicide in that bathtub. Oh, damn. So, yeah, so that is actually an undocumented death, but it's it, it's a rumored death. So, but then there's, like, other parts in the facility where, I mean, like, you come across, the, there was this one door that's locked to the public, but if you, like, go close to it, you have this feeling like you want to open it to let whatever is out because they felt trapped. It was really weird. It could be but, an evil um, spirit coming to get you. Well, and I'll tell you right now that the most, I mean, the cells alone, I felt were inhumane because of the size of them and how, what, what, you know, the two people housed in them and how they didn't really have, you know, couldn't get out if they needed to, you know, type thing. But the um, solitary cell is literally two foot, maybe two foot wide by two foot deep and it says six foot tall but i stood there and it was it, i stood above where the ceiling was and i'm five foot eight you're taller and, than that i'm five ten and you're taller than me you freaking beast okay we've already talked about how <laughs> short you are because you shrunk and i've been read i have been documented at five foot eight and a half they be so, lying you know. to you bitch <laughs> anywho you know, so I was standing there, and it's like I could not imagine being trapped in that cell for any amount of time because you had no way to move. You couldn't turn around. You couldn't bend down. You couldn't do anything. And 
most men are over five foot eight, and it's like they would have had to been hunched over. And I read somewhere that the maximum amount of time somebody was housed in that cell without being able to go to the bathroom or shower because there's no bathroom or shower in there was 10 days. Could you God. imagine soiling yourself and everything for 10 days? See, here's the thing is like the, the not showering would gross me out. Okay. But mm-hmm. having to soil, soil yourself, that takes away your dignity. And I, I, I'm a dick all exactly. the time. Okay. I make a lot of fucked up jokes, you but are. seriously, you, <laughs> uh, even I, I don't care what anybody has done, whether they, it's a traffic violation or it's a fucking a mass murder. Don't take away a person's dignity. Like seriously, that's just, right. that's, that's over. That's, that's, that is where you go from discipline to right. flat out just vengeance and revenge. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, um, cause I was watching an episode of something and they talk about the Yuma prison and they called it the hellhole jail. And they would have, they have this solitary confinement, which had one like opening up at the top where sunlight could come in. It was actually carved in the side of a mountain and they, the officers, if they didn't like the inmate, would drop scorpions and snakes down there. See, that's fucked up. It's like, okay, that's all, that borders on torture, okay? And despite what, and my, my, and actually, after this tour, I got back to the house, and I was talking to my mom and my cousin about this, and I was saying how the conditions that these inmates had to live in were inhumane. And my cousin said something about, well, I don't believe prisoners should be treated humanely. I go, so you're saying they should be treated like animals? Prisoners are not their crime. You know, their crime uh, unless is it's you. Unless it's you. That's oh negative, female inmate. I knew you were going to go there. I was gonna say, prisoners are not their crime. Because yes, their crime happened, and yes, their crime may have been bad, <laughs> but at the same time, there's somebody other than their crime, which is what we try to stress a lot in our episodes. I agree. You yeah. know, like, for instance, Carl Pantram. I have literally said to people, what would his life have been like if his father hadn't left and he wasn't so hungry he had to steal food from the neighbor? Yeah, exactly. You know, would he have been the killer he was? I don't think so. You know, and being hungry so, is a motivator for a lot of shit. Like, seriously... I, yeah, I, I gave that a lot. Of, I've been giving that a lot of thought over the last few months. Is that, you know, what would I do if if I was if I lost everything? Okay, but right. I needed to get food. Now, if if I lost right. everything, I would be depressed. There, there's definitely that. But I don't think I would turn to crime. I would just try to rebuild it. However, if I was starving, yeah, I might kill somebody. Because that oh, yeah. primal need sets in, and it's like now you have, you know, it, it's survival. You you need to do X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z to get food. You need to eat because if you don't eat, you're going to die. Exactly. Exactly. I That's mean, all I have. yeah, because well, no, and like I said, I mean, because I I think I even mentioned that this weekend when we were talking about. You know, because some of my family, I don't know how they don't know, but didn't realize that I did true crime podcast. And they said, what, why do you do that? I said, well, first of all, and mom says, because she was associated with a serial killer without knowing it, (laughs) you know, 
whole season of Barone. But, you know, and Mom actually talked about that part of it. But I was like, but I also do it because I want to, Scott and I try to show the humane side of people. We bring humanity to these people. And jokes. We bring a lot of bad humor and jokes, too. We do. We do bring a lot of bad jokes. Bad jokes. Bad jokes. <laughs> Stress bad. But, um, <laughs> you know, we try to bring humanity to people because a lot of people depict everybody as a monster who commits murder. But not everybody who murders is a monster. Because you could take one point in their life where you could change something and the situation would probably be different. You know what I mean? No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Carl Panzerum for one, but I mean, there's lots of other ones too. I mean, Austin Sig, maybe not so much, or Craig Price, because they had very good lives and still chose to do what they wanted to do. Um, so there are those psychopaths that you really can't change anything. But then you have some people, I mean, I think there's even, and I haven't like quite pinpointed it yet, and I haven't really talked to him about it yet, but I believe there's a point in Todd's life that if it would have been different, he wouldn't have done what he did. You know oh, what I, I mean? I know that as a fact. Todd and I have actually talked about that. Oh, have you? Yeah, we, we've touched on that subject a few times. You know, uh, oh. a lot of it comes down to, like, his mom was really promiscuous. Mm-hmm. To say the least. So, I mean, maybe if... To say the, I mean, she was married more times than you. Yeah, which is a shocker because I'm a whore. <laughs> which is so, a miracle because you are a serial husband. Well, I'm, 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 I'm a total whore, you know. So, like, if I'm looking at somebody going, dude, that's some whore shit going on. You know it's going to be bad if I'm calling somebody, you know, saying that's kind of whore shit. <laughs> but, um, so you had all this going on. Then she hooks up with, uh, with uh, uh, Carl, Carl Colehead. Um, who was yeah. uh, 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 Todd's stepdad, and that's how he got his last name. Yeah, who adopted him. Yeah, who adopted him, and this guy was a—he was a peach, just a fucking peach, you know. And, and right, Todd, and his granddad wasn't any better. So right, so Todd went through a lot of trauma, and of course he's going to have a troubled childhood because you got all this shit going down. Yes. they get shipped off to his dad. That is—he's just his dad's just not there. Like, at all. Like, he'd rather right. go out and, you know, do whatever and, and say, fuck you, I'm out of here. Um, and then dealing with a bunch of shit there. Yeah, there's a bunch of shit going on, man. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, and then it's like after he gets out of prison, too, he's pretty much, you know, left to his own devices and shit, you know. That it, you know, it's just, like I said, there's a lot of things that, you know, line up and... I think even when we covered, um, oh my God, what was his name? Oh, Ed Gein. Oh, when yeah. When we covered Ed Gein. I can tell you right now that if his mother wasn't as controlling and dominant as she was and like shoved Jesus down his throat and tried to tell him that, you know, good people don't have sex, period, even though she had sex to have two boys. Um, you know, I think that he wouldn't have been the way he was. Right, because he was very, very codependent upon his mom. Very codependent. And it's because, I believe it's because she was very domineering and just drilled into his head that this is what, you know, life is supposed to be. 
And then when she died, he didn't know how to cope. If she wouldn't have been that way, she would have just been a common, nurturing mother, then I don't believe he would have done the things he did. Yeah, I have to agree with you, yeah. You know? So, yeah, so, I mean, like I said, but still, at the same time, it's like when a person commits a crime, they should not be treated like animals. And... Unfortunately, and this is the sad part, is it happens a lot even to this day. I say everybody except for anybody named Tammy Sue. Oh, so Tammy Sue should be treated like an animal? Sir, I'm going to need you to calm down. I was going to say, I'm not the only Tammy Sue out here, bitch. <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir, I'm, I, you're at a 10 right now. I need you to drink that down to a... Hold on, security. <laughs> You know what? I was not drug off a plane this time. <laughs> I've never been drug off a plane, but I was not drug off a plane this time. So leave me alone. We're proud of you. Oh, my God. You know what my sister sent me? I got to say this for the record because you know I hate flying. I hate it. And right, my right, sister right. sent me an article about a guy from a Delta flight landing in Austin, Texas, how this I don't know who he was, if he was an airport worker or whatever. I can't remember right offhand. But as the fucking airplane is taxiing to the gangplank, is what I call it, <laughs> the fucking guy jumps up and gets sucked into the engine and commits suicide. See, that's just a random act of stupidity. That's fucking dumb. Could you imagine if I was on that flight, though, Scott? I mean, because I always get a window, I always try to get a window seat close to the engine so I can see if any malfunction happens. And, like, literally, if that would have happened while I was on the plane, I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not flying again. Ever. If that happened to you, <laughs> I, I would chase you train. around with the... If that happened, I would chase you around with the vacuum cleaner. Going, oh, you're going to get sucked up! <laughs> or a fan. A big industrial fan. Oh, hell yeah. Because I'm a dick. I can't help myself. I hate you. <laughs> I know you are, but yeah, it's like, no. I'm. She goes, aren't you glad you weren't on that flight? I said, hell yeah. <laughs> no, I hate flying. I hate it. Hate it. And it was even worse because the guy beside me on the flight home got sick. And I was like, oh, I'm so done with this right now. <laughs> That's fucked up. <sighs> I know. Traumatizing. I tell you. Nobody understands my my trauma. Nobody. We ready to wrap this up. That's all I have for this episode. I, I was just going to tell you that if you mm. listen to me. Because I have ESPN. Remember, boys and girls, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium. Crime Beat on Medium and wherever you happen to get your blogs. Go on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Interact with us. Uh, Tammy posts shit all the time. I And sometimes I comment and just, just to piss everybody off. That's, that's kind of my job. Let's see what else. <laughs> um, also, check out our merch store. It's uh, you, there's access to it. There's a, it's all pinned there on uh, on Citizens of Brutal Nation. You can click on it, go on over, get your own merch. Man, help a brother out. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And remember, boys and girls, if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying, thieving bastards. And we will talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. About fucking time.